Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 159. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Nate Dunn. And I'm Alistair Cook. Great to have you both here. Thanks. Good to be back. Now, Alistair, uh, you better remind us where you fit into the technology community here in New Zealand. Here in New Zealand and around the world, I'm involved in the uh, VMware community. It's uh, enterprise software, and it's what I do as my day job, but I'm very involved in the community, blogging and podcasting around that. And periodically, Paul uh, calls on me to come in and, and fill in an empty space on his sofa on a Tuesday afternoon. And it's always good to have you here. And Nate? Uh, do lots of things. I suppose my main one is I own a company called 3Bit. We're a software house, and we do a lot of zero stuff and all that sort of jazz. Great. Well, and of course, the other hats that you guys wear are your great tech uh, enthusiasts and uh, and followers of technology. So great to have you on the show to talk about all the latest tech and gadgetry that's uh, that's that's been coming through, and really a whole lot of stuff uh, over the last few days. Now, uh, first up, we have some new. Uh, well, we've got a lot of new gadgets, but uh, one of the first ones we've got is there's the uh, iPad Air that we chatted a little bit about uh, last week is sitting in a, uh, a funky new case from uh, from Logitech. Now, they've um, launched two new cases in conjunction with the iPad Air, and obviously um, Apple must have been talking to them before the launch because they were ready with these basically on, uh, you know, as soon as the iPad Air launched so there's um, there's obviously some uh, some good work that's gone on there to help keep this thing reasonably secret. They said they didn't actually know that know the name of the product, um, but they were able to build build the case uh, ahead of launch. So when you look in the box we've got here, uh, or the boxes for these new keyboards, um, there's actually a little sticker on the front uh, saying that they're for the iPad Air. Rather than having had time to get that printed up in, in the packaging. Yeah, because they, they just didn't know. Um, but Elsa, we, we've been having a little bit of a play with these earlier, um, and you're quite a big fan of using uh, iPad uh, with a keyboard. In fact, you, you know, you're a regular with your iPad uh, mini with the, um, the, the keyboard that you hook that onto, um, the Bluetooth keyboard. What's your, uh, what's your take on this? Well, this this is a nice uh, feeling device. The the one that I have is the, the ultra slim one, which is aluminium back and clips on and doesn't re- even feel like a case because it doesn't cover the back. This one nicely covers the back of the the iPad uh, without obscuring the, the camera as you'd expect. Uh, magnets for turning the iPad on, magnets for holding the iPad in place when you've got it in keyboard position. Uh, really nice, nice outer outer surface to it. It's what was it called? The folios. Fabric skin keyboard folio. Yeah, and, uh, and I won't do the the, the French uh, text. Semi waterproof. Um, so I, I could use this to keep the rain off my head as I'm going through these autumn, uh, spring showers that we're we're due to have this evening. Exactly. I and think, uh, I don't think I'm going to be allowed to leave the room with it. No. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So that's the one. And um, it's nice. and it's actually got quite a nice tactile feel to the keyboard. It's not like the uh, that super slim keyboard on, for instance, the Microsoft Surface, where you don't have any travel at all. There is a bit of uh, movement. Yeah, there, there is a, an actual key movement under it rather than just a spongy surface. And that's, that's quite nice. It would be a good, good device. And then the other one is the uh, ultra-thin um, key- keyboard folio as well. So there's, there's a couple of different uh, variations they've released for the Air there that are, that are both pretty cool. Uh, now, moving along, the, we, we mentioned uh, iPad Air there, but the, the new iPad last week was the iPad uh, Mini with Retina display that's, uh, that's landed. And, uh, well, it's, it's a nice sort of step up. The, I guess the big, uh, the big changes with this are really around the performance. It's gone uh, from, you know, I guess having the equivalent of, of an iPad 2 type um, uh, processing technology inside it to to the latest and greatest, so it's a, it's a whole lot faster. Um, some stats say up me up to five times faster, depending on what you're doing, but for gaming and you know fun things like that, that could be quite handy. Uh, but it's also all about this um, super high def uh, Retina display. Now, Alistair, your eyesight um, is it enough that you can really um, pick a lot of the the difference on the on the screen? Well, it certainly it wasn't obvious to me. Straight up, I mean, I held the two side by side in the normal user interface. It, it really just, they look very much the same because that nice iOS 7 display looks kind of cartoony and, and works well on a not necessarily so pixel dense user interface. 
But then when we started looking at it with, with live um, video that we were actually capturing on it, we could see some places there was jagged display on the, um, I've got the original generation iPad mini alongside it, and there were some places where we could see some pixelation and, and jagged lines that wasn't we couldn't recreate using the uh, this, this high def, uh, the Retina gen, um, mini. So, yeah, I think it's it's got something in it. I think significant for the future is is these newer devices, the uh, five 5S and and this um, iPad and and the later the, the uh, Air one have a 64-bit CPU, and I I suspect that's going to be very significant in the next year or two around enterprise mobility and manageability. And I think that's one of the places that we may well see Apple pushing quite hard and working in an enterprise tech space. This is a significant area for um, for business. Cool. What's your, do, you, do you have a, uh, an opinion on it, Nate? No. Because you quite like the smaller uh, size tablets too, right? And I'm a massive Android fanboy, so anything in, in Apple is just weird and witchcraft. Um, it's a really nice unit. That, I think that's a thing, is that they, I mean, Apple consistently makes some nice, you know, not really nice sort of builds in terms of their hardware. Uh, even if sort of software-wise you're used to being on another platform, uh, the gear is really nice. It's you know it's lightweight, and uh, the magnetic covers are um, you know are obviously are nice. So I could easily see that form factor in a meeting. It's a lot easier to manage than say a full iPad, and it's not too small that you're not able to use any of the real estate, but it's big enough that it is actually usable. I routinely use a, an iPad Mini with a with the Bluetooth keyboard in a, in a meeting to take notes, yeah. and it doesn't interfere with being able to actually look at the person you're talking to and, and ask them probing questions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, and, nice. I mean, that one's got the smart cover on it, which is, is nice in terms of, uh, um, you know, turning on and off as it's open and closed and, and so on, um, which was also another feature of those the, the Logitech ones, right? You, you close it up and, uh, you know, it just turns off, so you're not uh, running down the battery on the Bluetooth keyboard too quickly, which is nice. Uh, now, Samsung have also had a, a new uh, a new tablet or two uh, floating around. Alistair, uh, what have you got? Uh, what have you got there? Well, I think we've deeply buried under the, the mountain of gear that's that's here. We have the uh, 2014 edition of the uh, the 10 inch Note, uh, which unfortunately Paul didn't dedicate enough time to setting up before we got here. So it's just going through its its initial <laughs> setups, which really makes it better for us to describe it, uh, its appearance than anything else, since we can't quite use it. It looks like a giant-sized Note Three. It's got that uh, the leather Square. back on it, which is mm. uh, is really nice, and right? The, the sort of which ni- isn't really 1960s leather, sixties chrome edge around it. But it's, uh, I mean, uh, it's interesting. What's your What's your take on that sort of look with that leather feel and the and the chromey sort of edges? Because I know with the Note Three, just about everyone who I handed it to when they saw it for the first time, sitting on the couch here at the NZ Tech Podcast. Um, Everyone thought, "Oh, this is real leather." Was a common uh, common thing. I mean, how does that that uh, that one feel? I think this one feels a little harder, less yielding than the the smaller size on the Note Three. So it's less convincing that it's leather. Um, still a nice surface. It feels pleasant to hold. It's got a, lift, a, a bit of texture to it, so it doesn't slide through your hands the way some of the more glossy tablets are inclined to. And unlike the front of it, the back won't be a, a magnet for fingerprints. I had the original one of these, so it's nice to see what the latest one is. I don't remember the button on my one at the bottom. I remember the Samsung logo is in a different place, and it's also the sort of bezel around the outside is a lot thinner than the one I had. But I, I really am a big fan of that Note 3, the square edges. I don't like the, the curved edges of the S3. Just for me, felt like a just cheap and nasty phone. The big uh, the big specification sort of jumps have been around that um, really high-definition screen. Uh, so it's you know, higher than uh, full full HD, uh, 2560 by 1600 uh, um, pixels, which is is you know mega in terms of uh, you know, resolution compared certainly compared to what we've had in the old days. Uh, you know, although your iPad Mini with its Retina display is uh, arguably sort of higher definition in the sort of you know pixels per per inch. Um, have you broken it already, Nate? No, I'm just trying to turn on the volume while I try and actually get into it. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, a pretty, uh, a pretty capable uh, device. I mean, there, there's a whole lot to it in terms of specs. You've got that um, full full uh, high-definition uh, video being available 
in the uh, certainly in the L- in the um, LTE or the four G model. Uh, now the one that I think we've got here is not um, that's not a mobile enabled one, is it? No, that's, uh, there's that's no what, that's, that's, SIM card. That's no. uh, that's a Wi-Fi model, um, and there are varying specifications depend on on what you get. But it's it's a pretty high end uh, yeah piece of equipment in terms of uh, specs, and I know those who are interested will be looking online to uh, to check out all those all those details. But uh, pretty decent uh, yeah battery life and 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 so on as we're sort of getting used to in these things a sort of you know full day or, or so with of uh, battery life which is impressive considering the definition of the screen and mm. and the specifications and so on um Nate what would you use one of these for I used to use uh when I had mine I used to use mine for meetings all the time uh but then I got a much better laptop and Never started using my tablet, so I actually got rid of it. Actually, no, it was when I got my S4, I got rid of my tablet because you end up just doing everything on the phone, and, and I didn't really have that sort of um, need a step between a phone and a, a laptop, so I was more than happy just to use my phone or my laptop. Um, this is certainly a very nice device, though. I'd love to watch some video on it, but I can't seem to find any video. And it's got a very S4, you know, the slide-out, which I think that is the Note 3 inspired, isn't it, where you can run the... The multi window, so you can run like a browser on top, email. Yeah, top. you've got those various, uh, you know, Samsung, uh, you know, specific elements to it, and the, the ability to have two apps up on screen uh, to enable a bit of multitasking is, is really cool. And on these larger devices, it actually kind of works. On my Note Two, I just find it frustrating because there isn't enough physical space to be able to see all the pieces, whereas the, the larger display, I think that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, it does seem to more on, on that than on a than on a smartphone, even a, even a large one like the Note. But, you know. but Nate's going to have to spend a little while learning how to drive it uh, to get the best value out of it. That's, That's right. We'll, we'll put him on a uh, introduction to computing course um, after, <laughs> after the podcast uh, finishes. So we've got remedial headphones for Paul, remedial computing for <laughs> Nate. Yeah. I'm probably going to get uh, remedial drinking or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always a short straw. Uh, too bad, mate. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so some some interesting gadgets. Now, another one there that we looked at previously, uh, and this was one we, we saw at um, in, Intel's uh, conference in, in San Francisco. Uh, but we've had hands on it over the last few weeks. And um, Alice, you've had a bit of a play around with this too. This is the uh, the ASUS uh, T100, which is the tablet that comes with a with a keyboard that it docks into, so it's a, a laptop and and uh, and tablet in one. Um, this has been very popular around my house. I've got to say over over the last uh, the last few days, uh, good feedback uh, from my wife on the uh, just using it in general. The keyboard, which yeah, being a smaller uh, a smaller keyboard because you're talking a ten point one inch screen on on the tablet, uh, and then you know your keyboard has to match with that. Uh, it does take a little while to get used to, but it's not. Um, it's actually not too bad. The track point, I think, probably takes more, um, or the trackpad takes more more time to get used to. It's, it's not a pretty compact trackpad. It's quite that. small. It's it's not that great. But you know, then you are using a tablet. You can reach out and do it and, yeah, and touch the screen and so on as well. But uh, it's handy to have both of those. And of course, you've got the USB slot that you and and you can run Bluetooth, um, you know, accessories and so on with it. So. It's a, it's, and this it's is the, the spiritual successor to the Android-based Transformers that Asus has had. That's the same form factor to those, although a lower, lower resolution display than some of those models. Yeah, uh, but as a full Windows device. That's right. Out. So I mean, you're talking a machine that you can walk into a meeting, do your work stuff with, but then uh, be using all of your you know tablet sort of friendly uh, you know apps when you're you know sitting on the couch or just you know wanting wanting to play you can do all the play stuff so uh on on um on windows recently actually there's been some interesting interesting developments that really in the past we we felt sort of windows had well i think there were com- you know there were concerns with the apps that were missing sort of from the windows ecosystem when it came to uh you know, touch-friendly apps. Of course, there's millions of of traditional uh, keyboard and and mouse apps, but uh, those uh, those things seem to be sort of rapidly uh, rapidly getting uh, filled in. Um, now, a t- couple of the apps that were that people were sort of a bit concerned about or missing on Windows was uh, Flipboard. So that's just arrived on Windows 8.1 uh, in the last few days, 
and you've got um, all the sort of pinning capabilities that Windows brings. So in some ways, you could say uh, Flipboard's superior on on Windows to on uh, on Android or um, or iOS in those regards. Uh, Vine has just landed uh, recently on uh, on Windows Phone and uh, Instagram. We're hearing um, could arrive as soon as uh, in the next in the next week. So that sort of fills in a lot of those gaps. But we're still seeing the the localized apps from um, you know banks and things like that are less likely to be available as a full blown app and and more as a web app. Uh, certainly on the Windows Phone side. Um, yeah. Well, ASPs one is. ASB or three, yeah, they're across all three, all three. and but a lot of them you need to use the web version in order to, uh, uh, you know, get things done on on the Windows Phone there. So they're, they've still got some uh, some gaps, but uh, their market share seems to be growing. Every week I'm opening up the you know, tech news sites and hearing different stats. Most of them are, are really sort of indicating uh, you know a doubling in market share from last last year. And uh, you know, momentum sort of continuing to grow. So, um, yeah, it, I mean, it seems seems like Windows Phone's going to be here to stay. Uh, BlackBerry and uh, some of the other smaller platforms are somewhat more uh, questionable, really. Uh, now, other gadgets. Uh, you're a bit of a phone uh, kicking around there, Nate. Uh, that an one, the LG G two. Now, this one we talked about, I think, probably a couple of months ago when we first heard about it. Uh, but this is a pretty uh, a pretty sort of strong competitor to uh, to the other top Android phones, I think. From uh, from LG, you've got a five point two inch screen, so a really you know nice large screen without turning it into a you know a mega phone or a, or a phablet, as they sometimes call it. Um, how do you how do you feel that is for size? Because you use the Galaxy S four there, Nate. It's actually got yeah, it's actually really nice. It's a little bit longer, I think. Just as wide, yeah. Makes quite a cool sound when you turn it on. See if I can get. There you go. Ooh, makes it very nice. And you can actually, which I quite like, is the fact you can double tap the screen to turn it on. You don't have to use the power button, which is something I think Nokia introduced in some of their phones. Certainly in the um, in the Lumia 920, and I think the 925 have that on the um, on the newer sort of software builds. They've got that capability. Um, so it must be something. That's I don't know maybe a combination of hardware and software that you know when your when your phone is is asleep it's still able to um, register that yeah, that, that touch to uh, wake up your phone. It's also got that strange button on the back underneath the camera. Yeah, what do you think about having a power button and a sort of a slider scroll button on the uh, on the back of the phone? Make make <laughs> take a bit of getting used to, but it seems as you hold it, your index finger does naturally sit there. So I could see if your finger's there. Why not have a button there? Exactly. Why not? You didn't find you were bumping it accidentally or anything? No. Doesn't, it doesn't seem to be a problem, does it? No. Yeah. It's just it's just odd because no one's done it before. Uh, it could turn into the, the standard where they all have buttons there. It could be. Could be. So, yeah, quite a nice phone. I mean, pretty high end in terms of specifications. Um, this is being launched locally. Uh, two Degrees have picked it up. And, of course, yeah, Two Degrees sort of seem to be, uh, um, yes, yeah, sometimes picking up what a... Uh, I mean, they carry the big, the big, you know, phones from Samsung and and uh, uh, some of the Nokia uh, products. Uh, no, nothing from Apple, uh, but they stand out in terms of their support for um, for the LG smartphones. They're, they're working a lot closer with LG than um, than than anyone else. Uh, now the question is: Is there a price for the LG uh, G2 in New Zealand? I might need to uh, might need to check up on that. I think they've um, they've done a uh, distribution arrangement with uh, Harvey Norman, and I think that's the exclusive place you can get uh, the phone either through Harvey Norman uh, or or through um, or through two two degrees uh, directly. So. Uh, as far as I'm aware, those are the only places you can get uh, you can get the LG G2 at the moment. Um, and what are we seeing at the moment? We're seeing uh, it online for uh, about nine hundred ninety nine dollars. So um, reasonably competitive there with with Samsung. Yeah, because I think the S4 when it launched was over a grand, wasn't it, or about a grand? I think you're pretty much aiming if you want a decent smartphone or one that's going to do. All the nice things, a thousand dollars ish, 
is probably a good point to to aim at, and then put it on contract and you get it for a lot lower, and then you're stuck with that thing. Stuck yeah, I mean, it provider. seems to be that's that's the that's still the price point, isn't it? If you want the top end features, and it's got a 13 megapixel camera, that full high definition screen, and so on, uh, then you've got to pay those figures. But there are some pretty good phones now that are coming in and in the much lower price points too, in the two to five hundred dollar range. So, uh, but if you really want the best cameras and everything, then you've got to still spend at that level. Sounds quite stuck up, doesn't it? Oh, only only buy a thousand dollar phones. Well, it's a price point. I think that the the vendors have worked out. We will pay guys. People like us will pay a thousand dollars for a high end phone, but it's got to have whatever the latest things are. But we'll buy our, our kids and our wives and the people who are not quite so interested in the tech, we will buy a $400 phone. Yep. I certainly wouldn't buy a $1,000 phone for my, my wife or my kids, but $400, $500 is, is much more doable. And when they're out in the uh, you know, socialising, it's, it's an acceptable phone. They're not second-rate citizens in the, uh, in the snobbish areas where, where, of course, we all live. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, one of the interesting things I noticed is that some of the uh, phone uh, phones c- come down quite quickly in price over you know over a period. So uh, a phone that might launch at a thousand dollars, within sometimes a you know a fortnight you can be getting it for ten or twenty percent less, and by six to nine months or twelve months later uh, can be half the price, and those prices just move move extremely quickly. Um, sometimes you've got to go through you know not the same channels it's a parallel import type channel or a different you know um import structure but uh yeah still essentially you know very very similar device for much lower prices it's interesting uh now there was news just through in the last couple of days around uh apple buying out the uh the company uh that microsoft collaborated in uh collaborated with um to come up with their their connect sensor which is of course the uh the fancy piece of technology on the Xbox 360, and then um, you know they've refreshed that for the the new Xbox One that launches this week. Uh, their sort of 3D camera come uh, sensor, and uh, yeah, word is Apple have uh, shelled out 345 million US dollars to uh, to get into uh, into the space. Question is, what are they going to use it for? If this is this is indeed true. I think this is going to be for that much long rumored uh, ITV. I think this is going to be the way it's it's controlled. And of course, this the uh, the the place the Xbox One um, Connect was entirely developed in house by by Microsoft. And so uh, Apple buying up this company isn't going to endanger any of that. But it it is kind of saying that that Apple is going to get into the market of alternate ways of interacting. We know that none of the devices they have at the moment interact with anything but a keyboard and a mouse and, and the little tiny remote control. And there's a huge opportunity for them in more modern interfaces. I, I think that we will see some changes in their product range for this. Nate, do you think this is exciting that we've now got a number of vendors? You know, Sony is sort of playing, dabbling in this space uh, with with their the new um, camera for the uh, the PlayStation Four, although not probably quite at this level from what we've seen yet in terms of its development. Uh, Intel have got uh, Connect type technology that they're suggesting will be uh, built into laptops in in years to come. Uh, Microsoft, obviously, in the space. Now, uh, now Apple are, uh, are throwing their weight behind it with a very large check. Are we likely to see uh, maybe phones, laptops, tablets, and so on with this technology, or, or are you with uh, Alistair? This might be something for the for the lounge and for controlling TV in the future. I hope it's something for the lounge. I got to play with one of the Samsung smart TVs with the whole gesture control, and it was it was a novelty. You can see it is still a very new technology to the fact where. The friend of mine who had it in his lounge, um, if someone walked past, the, the channel would change, which was hilarious because it is it is still that novelty. It's still a very new technology. So I'm really keen to see what Apple's able to do and what other gestures and, and tightening. Cause it's, it, and which way did the travel uh, the channel change, by the way? Did it depend whether you were walking from left to right yeah. or right to left? It would think there was a, a gesture to, to flick to the one up or one down in terms of channel or something. So, yeah, it would, it would flick up and down. And, you know, the easiest way to fix it, obviously, is, is not to put the TV in a main thoroughfare. So you stick it in a room that doesn't have people walking back and forth. But, none the, but nonetheless... So put in, and no walk 
walk zone, putting yeah. cones up and some tape <laughs> to keep people from walking over the front. Don't walk in front of the TV. I'm trying to watch this. And then, then you have to have all of your chairs facing away from the TV. So as you get up, it doesn't turn the in, volume up as you stand exactly. up and back down. Yeah, again, I don't remember it doing that at the demo they showed me at, uh, at CES. Um, they must have engineered it uh, to, to not have people walking past. We were actually, it was, he said, oh, watch this, and actually got someone to walk back and forth. It was the funniest thing. Cause just imagine being right into a movie and <laughs> check this channel. The dog runs past. Yeah, you're like, oh, that's it. Got to put the dog down there. That's awesome. Uh, but so, you, you yeah. can see what then why Apple wants to acquire somebody who's been doing this for a while. Because clearly, if Samsung can't get it right at their first edition, you, you need some pretty serious knowledge to, to make the stuff yeah. work. And if you think back to how unbelievable the Connect was when it first shipped, you can sort of get the feel that there's a lot of engineering behind it. Exactly. It's because I've got the um, Nintendo, I bought one of the Nintendo Wii's, and it just shows how. Like when you compare the, the the whole interfacing with Connect to something like the Wii, the Wii just seems so like prehistoric. It just the whole and it, when that first came out, it was amazing the fact that it could register exactly where your movements are. But now Connect's like, well, you actually don't need anything. You can just use you. So it'd be fascinating to see where Apple takes this in a few years. Yep. Oh no, I think uh, there will be there will be some interesting developments having yeah you know, having more players in the space. I mean, it, it even it seems like there's some pretty exciting stuff in terms of what the Xbox One delivers. Of course, it hasn't launched just yet, but it it will do by the time, uh, yeah, by this. Well, it will do this week here in New Zealand and many other countries. So we'll really get to uh, we'll get to have a play around with that. But even there, I think you know what we'll see with that initial launch of this new Xbox will be just a taste of what we'll sort of see. Uh, longer term, but uh, you know, connect that can uh, you know pick up your heartbeat and. You know, it's just got you know such uh, high definition sort of fidelity in terms of the things that it can it can see and figure out is uh, is very cool. Uh, now, some of the most popular laptops in the world come from um, Lenovo. Of course, their ThinkPads have sort of been well. They were originally IBM ThinkPads, weren't they? And uh, Lenovo, a Chinese company, sort of bought bought out the uh, the the Think uh, brand and, and IBM's entire PC division, and uh, somehow I've managed to make it to be the number one uh, PC manufacturer in the world on uh, on numbers, knocking um, HP off their spot. Now they don't hold such a such a big market share here in New Zealand. Uh, but the ThinkPad laptops have always been really, uh, really solid and robust. Now I see we've got a couple of them sitting here, and we'll probably talk more about these uh, in a future episode once we've, we've spent some more time. But we've managed to um, uh, get our um, hands uh, briefly on uh, on the new T four forty, which uh, we had seen. Um, at, uh, at Intel's uh, conference here in San Francisco, and the X two forty, and these look uh, look really nice. And I guess the you know the big point is that uh, being the next generation processors, these are laptops with a sort of a, a true decent battery life on them. Yeah, with the Haswell um, processors that we saw first, and the, the new Mac Air with a significantly improved battery life on them, and uh, these particular devices, I mean the the. Uh, X series has has always been the the sort of more prestige than light powerful machine, beautiful machines to use. I I long ago had a big heavy uh, ThinkPad uh, back when it was IBM branded, although it was still manufactured by Lenovo, and it was a wonderful workhorse machine. It would just keep going that whatever uh, hell you gave it, however hard you were on it, because it belonged to the company, not to you. They just still kept running. Uh, you couldn't kill them even if you wanted a smaller and lighter laptop and the engineering looks to be exactly the same and they have the beautiful keyboard, some of the best keyboards on on uh, Windows uh, devices that you can buy. Uh, they also used to have the dual pointer where you could have the um, the nipple pointer or you could have the, the trackpad and you could use use either which was always fun to, to work out to confuse people with. So are you saying that they've dropped that in this model? We've um, <coughs> have, have, have we lost the uh, uh, have we lost the track point as they uh, as they called it? Actually, uh, I thought that nope, was that, nope, I thought we're still that, dual. Yeah, still I thought dual. That was still we just didn't have there. one open to yeah, uh, to yeah. see that. Um, and I was in a little bit of a panic before because I there was a glass of water sitting next to both of them, and I was thinking, oh, I hope Alice doesn't reach down and knock that uh, flying. Um, but it does highlight what is actually one of the nice points about the uh, ThinkPads is that uh, drip tray, and if you actually spill some water across your keyboard, 
there's a good chance if you if you leave it, it'll actually just sort of uh, go through the drip tray and drain out the other side, which is quite nice. I have never heard of that before, so I learned something new tonight. Well, they're not the only one doing it now, but I think uh, you know they they invented the idea and mm. uh, and 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 it's a good one. So uh, yeah, and the whole trackpad is a little strange in the fact that it's all clickable, so you you push it down and the whole thing clicks, which is quite which nice. Is it's very Apple like. Yeah, it's got that whole feedback thing going on. Yeah, no, it's a nice bit of kit. So we'll report back on just what sort of battery life and so on we get uh, out of those as we get more uh, more hands on, you know, official hands on time with those um, devices. Uh, now, something rather uh, rather fun got uh, got announced last week, and it is called the coin. Now, it's not a coin; it's actually a a, a digital credit card of sorts. And uh, a lot of people have been pre-ordering these online, um, partly because they're offering them at a very steep discount. They're at uh, half, off, they? yeah, ha- half price of what they're going to be when they actually launch to the market. Um, basically, what it is is it's a um, a card with a, um, a magnetic strip of sorts that you can you could basically copy. Any card that you've got, so let's say you've got a couple of loyalty cards, a supermarket and various other things, uh, FPOS card and a few credit cards, you swipe each of those through into the device, take a photo of your card and uh, away you go. Those um, those will be inside the device and you can click through and say, all right, I want my, uh, my coin, my electronic credit card at this moment to be my, uh, uh, you know, Grocery card and uh, and you swipe it through as that and you press the button you change it to your credit card then you make your payment. Um, quite an interesting concept. The idea of sort of slimming down your wallet is is a good one. What are your thoughts on this, Alistair? I would love to not have eight different credit cards in my my wallet. The problem, first problem that I have with it is that of those credit cards, three of them don't just have a magnetic stripe. So they also, they have a chip and pin or they have the uh, tap and go kind of pay. And uh, this this coin device being a, a US device is very much about swipe and, and pin although, or swipe and sign. Yeah, although with a, with a lot of those um, cards that, are, that have got the other pieces on them, if you keep swiping them... Uh, you can usually get away with it. It'll tell you to insert it, and then when it doesn't read it, it'll let you swipe it. But it sort of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it's an inherently lower security solution, and um, that brings to the far bigger concern for me is what if the waiter has one of these when I hand him my card? Exactly. And he so programs this onto his own coin and, the, and then goes to the, the uh, shop across the road and, and starts buying something using my card. He's made a copy stripe. of your card, and away he goes. Yeah. So... How do you think the banks are going to react to this? Now, I haven't seen anything official uh, from any banks yet, but my pick is that a bank will be saying to their retailers, to the merchants, saying, if you see one of these, um, you cut it up because it's not a genuine card or you know, you confiscate or something, because they can do that. They can certainly do that with their own credit cards that have got their details printed off it. And if effectively these are counterfeit uh, credit cards, there may be some laws even that come into play here. I, I mean, I think the concept is good, and and I want one. Um, I've held off ordering. There's still another twenty something days uh, left that you can order them in, um, and I'll probably will order one. Um, but I'm I'm just not sure whether these are going to sort of f- fall fell uh, of the credit card companies whether, and the, and the they're banks. Whether they're going to be a, a flaming uh, disaster or whether they're going to be wonderful. Yeah, I, I, a, just, I just can't see the banks the sort of buy and credit card companies buying into this, to be fair. What do you think, Nate? You, I mean, you you own a, a cafe as a, as a retailer. What what will you do if some of these come across? And what would you do if you found one of your staff was carrying one of these uh, in their pocket and uh, were using it between uh, picking up a card from someone sitting at a table and getting to the till? Um, I would say that the, their ability to clone, I would be amazed because um, hospitality staff don't tend to be. Technology and hospitality don't really go hand in hand, if we're honest. Um, I would say the banks would probably not like this at all. I don't know if you've ever used legitimate, can you say legitimately use someone else's FPOS card? Like, you know, one of the guys <laughs> at work says, you're going down to get some Subway, can you grab me something? Here's my FPOS card and my PIN. Now, I once did this at a bank and used someone else's card to get some cash out because, look, you're going to the bank, can you get some cash out? Holy moly, the 
the grilling that I got for using someone else's card. And I said, well, they gave me their pin. And it was like, yeah. Yeah, don't the, do the, that. Well, the bank doesn't want to know you've given your pin to anyone, no. right? So. And I naively mentioned that I'd been given the pin, so never doing that again. Um, I would say the banks will not like this at all. And uh, it would be nice if the banks could, instead of hating it, could embrace it and say, hey, look, we've actually got our own version of coin, which you can load all your different mm. uh, cards we'll, on. We'll issue you one of these coins because you have four different cards with us. You have you know, personal, you have a company account with us, you yeah. maybe have a, an alternative account. You know, of, of the cards I'm carrying, four of them are from one bank. And see, so that'd be a good way to, to get all the business over. You could say, well, look, you're with ASB, you've got two ASB cards. We could put all your cards on, but you're going to have to dump BNZ, ANZ, Westpac, whoever else you're with. So Is, you isn't isn't the coin, I mean, it's great not carrying 10 cards, just having one that'll do it, but isn't it just an interim step to when our smartphones are going to be able to do all our transactions anyway? Or... Do you think that side's going to fail? Because the, the, the NFC or near-field communication-based payments haven't really been a, a success anywhere in the world yet, um, although it does seem like a, a pretty exciting uh, yeah, capability to be able to make payments with, with your phone, and we've tried out the, a bunch of the different trials. Um, but we haven't yet seen one of those that will let me have five different cards loaded for my five different accounts. You're still tending to work with a single account. Mm-hmm. And that really doesn't hit where, where coin's sitting at, which is to have one object that lets you use multiple accounts and, and switch between them. But that's the ultimate promise, isn't it? That a phone will be able to emulate or will be able to you know, handle yeah, let, let's live on a whole lot of for. devices. <laughs> Give me something that's delivered now. Even this is still a promise. They're still well, talking exactly. about summer 2000, US summer 2014 yeah. before they ship. A long way off, right? So, uh, yeah. Um, but but if you're interested, look look it up. Onlycoin.com uh, is the website. There's a cool video up there. Um, definitely worth a look if you want uh, one of the newest gadgets uh, that's um, that's going to be coming through in the next little while. Uh, now this week is well the ne- the next couple of weeks really, and and even last week to a degree, uh, really all about uh, new. <laughs> Is gaming consoles the right word? New consoles. Um, I guess the Xbox 4 is definitely gaming console, gaming console, and more gaming console. Uh, the X- Sorry, was that the Xbox 4 or the, uh, the oh, PlayStation what did I call 1? It? The PlayStation 4. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm getting all my words mixed up here. You're miles um, ahead of where I am. Man. Um, definitely but, living on the promises. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's all t- it's all too much. Just far too excited about all this new technology. Um, so so PlayStation Four launched in the US last week. Uh, been a lot of feedback on it o- online already. Uh, some pretty impressive numbers there. Um, Sony say a million sold uh, within twenty four hours of uh, of launch in, uh, in in the North American market, uh, which is pretty stunning. I think blows away any sort of previous. Uh, launch of, of of any of these um, of, of any consoles, uh, and then this week uh, is the Xbox One, and uh, New Zealand um, is fortunate enough to get it before anywhere else in the world by yeah a, 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 a few hours by the sounds of it. Presuming they make them available immediately at twelve oh one a.m. on uh, on on launch day Friday well, you could, morning. You could actually get yours sooner if you put on a wetsuit and took some fish and went to Caledonians. You could dive in and grab it from the sharks. So, would you be willing to do that? Actually, probably, because those sharks look very well fed, if I'm honest. (laughs) I don't want one of those consoles that much, so I'm not going to risk it, but I reckon that, yeah, you could probably sneak in and do it. So, a good good bit of uh, a good campaign from Microsoft there to... to, to, it's, it really sounds like someone wrote their marketing department a blank check and just said, what's the most off-the-wall thing that could come up and the little intern in the corner said why don't we use sharks and they just went for it sharks with lasers yeah. strapped to their heads <laughs> and, and the, the lasers got vetoed yeah uh, so no that's too far we'll just Cali Towns will do yeah no I, that's quite that's quite cool so they've got a big launch event here in Auckland uh, th- th- Thursday night uh and uh, yeah, Friday morning people start getting their devices. So um, I mean, we're certainly looking forward to getting some some hands on with these Xbox. I think you know Microsoft are trying to tell a broader story of it being much more a, an entertainment uh, device around uh, certainly in the US market, watching TV and streaming Netflix and so on. Obviously, we won't get all of the same capabilities here in New Zealand. So that's the bit I'm really curious about: is what will the Xbox One? actually be for a New Zealand audience and what will it be on day one because we know with these consoles what they deliver initially usually changes a lot over their lifespan and we look at the Xbox 360 
you know, what it is now with the Connect and uh, all the, you know, video apps, web browser and so on, and, and, and the same with the uh, PlayStation. That's changed a lot uh, from when they were launched, what, six, seven years ago. And they're talking about, I think Microsoft is saying maybe a 10-year life for the Xbox One. So, uh, you know, we might not recognise it in, in 10 years' time, whatever version of the Xbox One they're launching at that time, but hopefully the software will still work on one bought... Uh, Bought in 2013. Which would you guys go for? The PlayStation or the Xbox? I don't have a, uh, a, a horse in this race. I really okay. aren't a game. Um, I mean, my, th- my thought was to buy one of each. Well, that's, um, that's a so great answer. Let me finish. So it's to buy one of each to sort of try out and get a bit of a handle on it. Um, that said, I'm more into the broader entertainment aspects of, you know, watching content, using the browser and so on than being a hardcore um, gamer um, these days. Um, so, I'm, you know, I would edge a little bit more to what the Xbox promises, but I don't know whether the promise of what it will do in the US will actually really live up in the New Zealand market or whether I'll be bitterly disappointed. Uh, so I'm I'm still a, I'm still un, unsure really until the products actually hit here. Um, but what happened for me was I ordered the... Um, I went into the store, I ordered the Xbox... Uh, one and I was like, yeah, I must get around and order a, a PlayStation uh, 4 and found that they sold out very, very quickly. Now, I don't know, uh, you know, what those final numbers are. We certainly early on, we saw some crazy numbers in terms of number of PlayStations being ordered in New Zealand uh, versus number of Xboxes, whether that sort of balanced out a little bit uh, or balanced out entirely who who knows but uh yeah there's no uh there're no PlayStation 4s available until uh next year at the stage if you didn't get your order in early and i think the Xboxes are probably in reasonably limited um supply as well i think if that that sort of living room hub idea for the Xbox one actually comes to pass and is is valid in new zealand that might be the thing that would would drive me to buy a console uh, you know, I, I use a lot of uh, Windows Media Center around my home, and um, I have an apartment here in Auckland as well, and a Media Center machine here. So, if there was something that could give me take away the requirement to have a, a PC sitting in the living room and on all of the time, and didn't have the noise that our current very old Xbox 360 has, mm-hmm. um, that might be a compelling reason for me to go this way. So, because I have all three consoles, because I couldn't pick, so I just bought them all, and so I'm keen. I'm going to. Obviously, get rid of them once these sort of mature. I'm just tossing up whether I go down the place. I have to admit, I might play more PlayStation at the moment than I do Xbox. Um, so I'm tossing up whether I'll go down PlayStation or Xbox. So I'm keen to keen to hear what people think. Yeah, and and I think even what we hear on day one isn't going to be the full story. And there's quite a few uh, reviews online already for the PlayStation Four, and there's sort of a lot of the comments are uh, look, you know, this is not the whole this is not the whole picture because there's not that many uh, games, you know, launch day. Across either platform, you know, talking about 20, 20 games in either direction. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's certainly not the whole picture. And there are a number of capabilities that they're saying, Hey, that bit's coming next year. Oh yeah, that bit's coming next year. So, uh, which is probably somewhat frustrating in many ways. But anyway, that's, um, that's where it sits at the moment. Uh, now next week we'll probably fill you in. Uh, we're running out of time this week on, uh, QB, uh, which is a new, uh, a new camera uh, that's launching on Kickstarter, I think probably next week, but it's um, it's a New Zealand company, uh, and I ran into the CEO at uh, CES last year, uh, and uh, yeah, this looks looks like an interesting um, little uh, portable camera that's a little box, and uh, um, it can stream through to your smartphone and so on, you can just sort of set, set these things up on a wherever you like and um, much easier to probably position than a smartphone for uh, videoing what happens in a, in a particular location and so on you can put them on a tripod uh, but just you know these very little uh, cameras that do full full HD so we'll come back with a bit more info on that hopefully um, next week hopefully we get a hands on one of those uh, what else do we have um 3D Builder, a new app for um, that Microsoft are releasing for Windows 8.1. Of course, Windows 8.1, as far as 3D printers is concerned, uh, as far as I'm aware, it's the first operating system that builds in uh, direct support for 3D printing in terms of 3D printer um, drivers. So 
um, what what we'll basically see is you walk into a store, buy an off-the-shelf 3D printer, plug it straight into a Windows 8.1 machine, fire up this app, and you'll be able to start printing things in 3D. Uh, and it's got a bit of a library of con- of um, you know content, uh, which is a bit more interesting than you know printing a, a pretty picture on a bit of paper. Uh, you can print out. Uh, I saw some uh, train tracks and little uh, little trains and different bits and pieces uh, that would be fun for uh, for my three year old, I'm sure. Um, and you know, a bunch a bunch of stuff like that. So uh, I think that that will help sort of um, spark more interest in the 3D printing by making it just so accessible that you don't necessarily need specialised apps uh, to get underway with uh, with doing 3D printing. And there's you know a level of um, uh, modification you can do to those um, um, to the to the model you know the 3D sort of uh, virtual models that they give you. So and something that'll make, make this really take off is if they they link this application back to the Thingiverse library of of 3D printing models. And so the, this is a sort of centralized place where a lot of uh, enthusiasts put up their designs. And if this allows you to pull designs directly from Thingiverse and makes it very approachable, I think they, they might be onto something. That'll yeah, work. I think if you can import all those things, um, what, you too can can make a, a tiny octopus model for uh, uh, with your three D printer as as your Christmas so gift. Kind of kind of fun. So it, will this be the next way that you um, get kids' toys? You just print out what uh, what they want or weapons. I watched a thing on YouTube about a guy. Oh, the the 3D printed gun. Yeah, I'm not following the discussion completely, but I watched how they printed this. uh, Was it like a handgun or something? Amazing. Liberator, the 22 cal. Yeah, took it out. And they're much easier to get through customs, aren't they? If they're, uh, they're, you know. Not not if you follow the design. The design actually had you put a slug of metal into it. And, of course, all all terrorists follow the designs. Considering I want to get back through the States, Paul, I'm not condoning Sneaking weaponry through customs? Uh, no, we, that's not, not what we condone <laughs> here on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, you may be you may be put aside for a random te- random <laughs> search. It's all downhill from here. So, um, but yeah, in, interesting uh, interesting times in in three D printing because they're just becoming so accessible, and you know some of them certainly under a, under a thousand dollar you know mark now, and it was. You know, only in the last you know five to eight years that uh, yeah, three D printers were in the quarter of a million dollars sort of uh, starting point. So it's it's a, a dramatic uh, change of um, well, the amount of uh, change that is required to uh, pay for one of these. You'd have to fill this room full of change to have paid for it in the old days. And uh, now you can three D print yourself those coins. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, uh, I think that's probably uh, that's probably us for this week. We're um, we're just about out of time. Oh, Nate, there were a couple of apps that we were going to uh, we were going to mention. Now, um, what there was a, a taxi app, the taxi one. So oh, this I can't remember how. I think someone tweeted about Zoomy. So, and I've got a blog about this about a week ago. Partner and I were heading from our place in Mount Eden to Queen Street. So not on a very big journey. And I thought oh, I'd be a good test of the the app. And registered, put in my details, booked a cab for the time I wanted to uh, be picked up, and went like a champ. The about fifteen minutes, twenty minutes before we were to be picked up, the map popped up and said, "This is where the cab driver is." And then when he picked us up, it then as we we're moving, it said, "Your journey is in progress." And then when we stopped and paid him, after we got out of the cab, it popped up saying, "Please give him some feedback." So I gave him five stars or whatever it was, and said, "Yep, it was fantastic. It was." Really good. It's a beautifully designed app, and it works really well. So it crosses over between the capabilities of a of an existing app that's been around for a while called Glimpse, which I think is available on pretty much every every platform, uh, which you can use to send people a little glimpse of where you're at, and it does that does that little uh, m- live map on the screen, which is really uh, really cool. Actually, all sorts of uses for that, uh, and uh, and I guess Uber. Now, Alistair, um, you're, you've had a bit of a look at Uber. Have you actually had a chance to try it? I haven't. I'm like, like Nate, when I've been in the, the States, I've not actually used Uber, um, but I've, I've been with people who use it regularly and, and say it's a, an awesome service because you can see where you're, as, as Nate said, see where the cab's coming, see the registration plate of the car that is going to come and pick you up. and The name can, of the driver. Yeah, and you can mm. even choose what sort of car you want to have pick you up, and presumably that's only in the larger cities. You can say, well, I, I actually have eight people with me, so I need a minivan, or I'm, I'm turning up to the premiere of a movie, so I need a town car. Um, those kinds of, of additional functionalities, but works extremely well. 
everybody that I've spoken to has been a really big fan of Uber and, and some of them wishing that it would come to the cities where they lived rather than only being in San Francisco, which is the only US city I've been out and about in recently. But yeah, I've, well, it seems to be in quite a lot of places. And we talked, I think, um, yeah, about in the sort of Asia-Pacific region. I think it's in, it's in Sydney already, mm. uh, maybe Melbourne as well, but it's certainly... Uh, expanding, expanding pretty quickly. They're and saying they're that saying Southeast Asia as well for as a big growth area because high population densities and, and relatively gentle legislative frameworks, unlike the US, makes it easy for them to expand. Yeah, so uh, twenty one countries. Um, yeah, they're in. They're also in uh, Tokyo, uh, Taipei, Shanghai, um, Kuala Lumpur. Um, Seoul, New Delhi, uh, Bangalore, Singapore. So, uh, yeah, a bunch of places that are, um, yeah, a lot of Kiwis travel to and then further afield, uh, like London and, um, Amsterdam and, um, uh, Paris and so on. So, um, yeah, quite, quite cool. It's a very cool little app and I'm, no, I'm not on their payroll. So, um, yeah, I'm saying this completely, um, unbiased. I, I was talking to the cab driver about it and he said he'd tried Cab Choose, which was the other Kiwi thing. And he said right. that wasn't very good at all. And they charge, um, Zoom, Zoomy charges a dollar per cab ride, whether that'll change. But the taxi guy, it was actually the first time he'd used it as well. And yeah, it was really good. It's good. Really well. It's good. Oh, well, it's nice to see, uh, see new technology, uh, coming, coming through. Well, that's it for this uh, this edition of New Zealand Tech Podcast. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Now, Nate, you're pretty easy to track down uh, online. Twitter. We know on Twitter you're at Nate. That's the one. And um, your, your blog? I haven't blogged for ages. Okay. Uh, just Nate Dunn, D-U-N-N dot com. It takes you through to my Gixone blog. I promise I'll do something soon. <laughs> Very lazy. And Alistair, who's far more active than all of us combined when it comes to uh, when it comes to blogging about highly technical things. I'm uh, not actually particularly active on my own blog since I've been writing for Tech Target, so you can find me on some of the search, pick something related to virtualization uh, sites, but my own blog is demitas.co.nz, and my Twitter handle is demitasnz. Excellent, and you can find me online at, at Twitter and, and various other places, Paul Spain, uh, and of course nztechpodcast.com, facebook.com slash nztechpodcast, and, uh, and we're the same on uh, at on Twitter, at uh, nztechpodcast. Um, so yeah, thanks everyone for uh, for joining us. Uh, do check out our other uh, podcast, which is New Zealand Business Podcast, um, released by uh, by Global Voice Media. So hey, thanks for joining us. Catch you next week. See ya. <laughs>